My first job when I was still a student was with a lighting designer. We designed a range of glass fittings for a company, just the two of us. We used to have glass shades hand-blown up at Wolves End in Newcastle. And otherwise we did special stuff for hotels, clubs, churches, working with architects. And once I'd started working with glass, I just loved it from then on. I'd set my heart on getting a job with Crown Corning. And as I was the first female student out of industrial design in Sydney, that was quite an ambition, I think, for the times. This is a photo taken at my drawing board. I'm working on some technical drawings for a glass design. Before I got to this technical stage, I would have come up with a range of different visual ideas that I presented to marketing. If it was a glass to be exported, it will have been discussed and presented to our agents, particularly in Holland and in the USA. After acceptance of a design to go to the next stage, I would go to the technical drawings. From the technical drawings, we might make glass samples, but you would lose a shift of production which was quite expensive, so often we would start off with an acrylic. So a solid piece of acrylic, and we would turn the shape out on one of the highly technical lays that we had in the machine shop. We'd use that to make the acrylic model. The main thing against an acrylic model is the tactile feel of it. It doesn't feel like glass. It doesn't have the weight that glass has and glass feels colder to the touch. You want it to feel good in the hand. You want the ergonomics to be appropriate, but you can't do that with an acrylic model because it just doesn't feel right. You are liaising with the factory all the time throughout the process. We had the same equipment that glass manufacturers all over the world had. Now, we're not the cheapest country to make product for export. We have higher labour costs for a start. So you had to come up with a design that somebody else would find very difficult to make. Otherwise, somebody else could make it cheaper. So we were continuously pushing the boundaries of the equipment that we had. We did a few things with the machine that were the first in the world, which gave us a big edge in the export market. And as a designer, you don't achieve that on your own. You have to work with the people in the factory. And I had really good people to work with. So I consider myself lucky from that point of view. If we use Hunter as an example, the aim of the range was to have a sort of hybrid glass, not a fine stem glass, not a tumbler, but a more casual, entertaining glass. So it had to have a pseudo stem, if you like, or a foot, so that the bowl was elevated. The one we're looking at now is an acrylic model 
but the final hunter glass had a bubble in the stem. We were the first in the world to be able to put a bubble in the stem using a machine. Prior to that, it had only been done in a hand shop. So it gave us a huge advantage in Hunter. was a big seller for us in Europe. But you can't put a bubble in a piece of solid acrylic. So the acrylic model really just demonstrated the shape. But we followed up with machine trials on that one before we went to production. This is the Oslo design, along with Bergen, which is another of my designs, which was a finalist in the Prince Philip Design Award. It was designed in 1974 from memory. The brief was to come up with a design with the tallest stem that we could make on the equipment that we had. And because the taller the stem got, the more glass you had to get into the stem when you're forming the shape. The problem with that is you've got a big lump of solid hot glass at the base. The machines would make 40 of these in a minute. So you're putting molten glass in something and the glass is still red when it comes off the machine. And a matter of seconds later, you're cooling it down to take it out. And the danger was that they would tilt because it's hot. So it's got a series of lines put into the glass stem before it was flown. So these ridges increase the surface area. This grew out of experiments we did in the factory to help the glass to cool quicker. This is a Bergen, probably my personal favourite, although our Scandinavian agent told me it was too Scandinavian. I think I was flattered. All of the ranges that sold in Europe had a snaps glass, hence the small one. You don't sell a lot of small glasses here, but if you're selling in Europe and you don't have a snaps glass, you don't get your range online. The two largest ones were designed for America because they put ice in most things and therefore they take bigger shapes. So you need to understand your export market. This is the packaging for Bergen. For a while, we toyed around with this Kroner trademark, which was something marketing came up with, trying to establish a particular point in the market. And the initial range of glass before we added the two for the States. The company for the time was very accommodating because I was female. They kept working with me when my daughter was born. I worked till 10 days before she was born. They sent a drawing board over to the house. I had an upright one they sent because I couldn't bend over, a regular board. I worked part-time. They let me work at home just going once a week for the first year, I guess, of Jackie's life. So, yes, I loved it. Originally, it was Crown Crystal Glass when I joined in 1967. 
1972, they merged with Horning Glass, who are a major American company. I used to go to the big trade fairs in Chicago and in Frankfurt. I loved it. I loved all the time I was there. So it was really 23 years of a great job. It's been great fun to revisit some of my designs and to think about my years at Crown Corner.